Hi everyone, I'm Carla. And I'm Iman. And you're listening to Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture, including TV, movies, books, and sports. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Alejandro González Iñárritu's latest Oscar-nominated film, The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. We'll review its stunning cinematic achievements, its performances, and we'll try to gauge its Oscar-worthiness. After this, we'll take a step back and take a look at some of the other Oscar nominees that were recently announced and try to make some predictions. All that after the break. We did what we had to do. He was buried right. My dad was my boy. And he took him from me, you understand? He's afraid. He knows how far I came to find him. afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. Wow, I think that short trailer alone contained about 80% of Leonardo DiCaprio's dialogue for the entire movie. But nevertheless, Iman, why don't you set us up with a little bit of plot talk? The Revenant follows a crew of fur trappers traversing the uncharted American wilderness in 1823, and our story begins when their explorer, Hugh Glass, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is brutally attacked by a bear. Now, if any of you are like me, going into this movie, that's about all you'll know. These are what the synopses that you'll find circulating online say, but so much more happens in this movie, and because... Any attempt to make this episode spoiler-free would probably be impossible for us. I'm going to tell you, if you're planning on watching this and you don't want anything spoiled, hit pause now, come back, finish this later. I'm about to give some heavy spoilers. Okay, so after the bear attack, Glass is left in a grisly state, which makes him a huge liability for the rest of his crew. Tom Hardy's character, Fitzgerald, concerned about hostile Native Americans and his own life, resents the danger that caring for Glass is putting the crew in, and attempts to kill an already injured Glass. When Glass's half-Native American son tries to intervene, Fitzgerald kills Glass's son before Glass's very eyes, leaving him for dead and returns to civilization to collect his profit and ensure his own survival. As we all know, Glass doesn't die. Motivated by revenge, he pursues Fitzgerald and fights not only for his own survival and for justice for his son, as most synopses will have you know, but also against European and American abuses against Native peoples, and that's a point that I think it does the movie a disservice to miss. Carla, I just gave my take on this question, but what did you think about the plot, or more specifically, about the claims that we've read that the movie was overall really weak plot-wise? Well, I have to say I loved the movie, but yeah, to some extent I agree. There were a few aspects of the movie's plot that were a little weak, particularly when it kind of tiptoed into the realm of spirituality. There are a series of really trippy scenes throughout the movie where Glass is having visions of his deceased Native American wife, who's acting kind of as a quasi-moral compass for him throughout the film. 
those scenes didn't really do it for me. But at the end of the day, I don't think the movie was ultimately about that. As you said, I think more than anything, it was just a basic story of survival. A man struggling with a lot of internal grief, struggling against nature, and yes, sometimes other men. And when you look at it like that, I think it's easier to consider this movie a success. Definitely agree. So I think another one of the aspects that make this movie a success is definitely its performances, particularly with the two main actors, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. What did you think of Leo's performance? It was incredible. It's a little hard to divorce my read or my gloss on his performance from the Oscar buzz that's been surrounding it almost probably since before anyone really even knew what the movie was about. But going into the movie, I found myself kind of putting that aside and really seeing it as just a really fantastic depiction of this character. You could tell that... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio really immersed himself in the character. He went to incredible lengths to really show the brutality of what he endured and went through a lot. I mean, he actually went through a lot for the filming of this movie, which we'll touch on later. But Yeah, it was a very physical performance. But I think, as we mentioned before, he has very little dialogue, which Mm. probably has to do with the fact that his throat gets ripped Oh, by the um, by the grizzly bear, eh. but <laughs> I think that kind of forces his his performance to be physical and expressive without using words, which means that there are a lot of close up shots on his face, mm-hmm. a lot of reaction shots, and it kind of immerses you in the experience, and you get to experience all of his hardships. Through his eyes, literally. Oh, definitely. I think a lesser actor, those moments, especially the lingering shots on his face, might have taken me out of the film or felt boring or dragging, but it felt so meditative Mm -hmm. because he was doing such a great job. Hugh Glass was, as we've mentioned, an incredibly captivating character, but I think what made him... I mean, what really made the movie for me was the fact that he was foiled by Tom Hardy's character, John Fitzgerald. Good point. I, and man, speaking of performances, Tom Hardy brought it. I think a lot of people are praising him for creating such a ruthless villain that's so easy to hate, but I think we were one of the few people that kind of liked him. Yeah, it's. I feel like a dick saying I, I liked a character that kills a man's son before his own eyes. But I have a quote, I have something that Leonardo DiCaprio said during an interview about this movie that kind of captured what I felt about um, Tom Hardy's character, which was that he had such clear motivations that I never felt like it was outside the realm of like his own logic. Like it... it his actions didn't seem evil-hearted. Yeah. Let me just read the quote. Uh, Leo says, Fitzgerald is a very interesting character because you understand his motivations so well. Here he is, a man with nothing, who hoped to be in a lucrative business, and all his future plans disappear in one second. So he goes into this ultimate survival mode where it's kill or be killed, and Glass is the person in the way of that. Fitzgerald is also a survivor, but he finds a very different way from Glass. He chooses to be cutthroat. 
So I think the way that Leonardo DiCaprio kind of sets it up here is not so much that it's villain and hero, but it's two men that are very much in the same position, faced with the same options, just choosing one chooses A and one chooses B. Mm -hmm. And I think that that human reading of Hardy instead or of Hardy's character, instead of just flattening it to, oh, this is a terrible dude that is getting chased for the whole movie, made it a lot more fun to watch and obviously to to pick apart. Yeah, I think the movie spends just, well, maybe not just as much time with Fitzgerald as it does with Glass, but you do spend enough time with him where you see the three-dimensionality of his character. Definitely. I mean, there are some scenes where we get him describing his father, and you see you get a sense of where this character comes from. He says, like, oh, my, my father... He essentially gives a sense that his father didn't believe in God. His, my father was like this. This is how I've been raised, kind of. And mm-hmm. Not to say that that justifies all his actions, but it does ascribe a... It could be violent, but it ascribes a logic to it that I was able to follow, and it made all the actions that this character commits feel earned and justified to a certain extent yeah i agree as much as the critics might say the plot is weak i give a lot of credit to the writers to give this much backstory to a character that in any other film might have not yeah it might have been a a western villain yeah okay so leonardo dicaprio tom hardy i would be absolutely okay with both of them walking away with oscars uh but Here we've been talking about the plot, we've been talking about the performances. Most of the buzz that's been generated about this movie isn't about that. It's been about the cinematography and the production. You want to speak to that? Sure. I think the first thing that you should know about this movie was that it was hard to film. The the Revenant was shot chronologically on, I think, an 80-day schedule that took place over a period of nine months, which is unusually long. And this was due to the fact that, of course, there were cold and very extreme weather conditions. They were shooting in remote locations. I think it was filmed in both Canada and Argentina. And I think one of the biggest reasons why it took so long to film was the fact that both the director and the cinematographer made a decision early on to shoot this movie only with natural light for maximum realism, which is insane. That is insane. Like, I... Can I go on a side note for a second? Sure. I was just walking past a set uh, at Disney, and the way the... The mechanics of lighting that you see most of them doing, like, it's very advanced. Like, of course they can do it. But the rigs that they have set up, the fact that, like, they chose to just not have any of that, it blows my mind. I know nothing about movie production, but just the the sheer idea of it is shocking to me. Yeah, they, I think they only had a couple of hours each day to shoot whatever they were going to shoot that day, so... Much credit to the production team. Let's just toss out another Oscar to the cinematographer. (laughs) Insane. But I think it definitely paid off. I when I came out of this movie, I told Iman a lot of it felt like those remember the old BBC Planet Earth series? Yeah, I loved it. It it was just so beautiful to watch. Just for that alone, it's 
Yeah, it should it's be lauded. Mm-hmm. And watched in a theater, which, I mean, for most of the people listening to this, we've already told you that you should have seen it already. I hope that people watch it in theaters because people that streamed it or saw screeners, most of the reactions were kind of lukewarm. We had some friends that didn't watch it with the whole movie-going experience and didn't like it as much. And I think that that does speak to the fact that this is a film that's meant to be seen and it's meant to overwhelm you. Definitely. Visually. It's supposed to be immersive. You're supposed to feel cold. You're supposed to feel scared or whatever. You're supposed to run through all the emotions that... As I told Carla before we went to go watch this movie, I wanted to go into it without a jacket to be a method critic, which is... (laughs) A, thing, a new thing, I guess, that we're creating. But, man, just to wrap this up, I think overall both of us really enjoyed this movie. And I think, it interestingly, something I was thinking about before recording this is that this is one of the first movies we've talked about that didn't have that had basically no humor in it. Yeah, which makes it kind of uncomfortable when we think about shout-outs. Do you think it's appropriate to have shout-outs for a serious movie like this? Probably not, but let's let's try it. Okay, my first shout-out has to go to Domhnall Gleeson. We haven't talked about his character much. He played Captain Andrew Henry. Mm-hmm. A very upstanding citizen. <laughs> yeah, he's a good, like, northern boy. <laughs> and, I mean, he's he's a, a brave captain, but you can tell he's definitely not from the same class as his fur-trapping buddies. Um, well, the shout-out has to go to him, not so much for his character, which mm-hmm. was great, but for the fact that he, this is his fourth Oscar-nominated movie he's in this year. Insane. Donald Gleason was in Ex Machina, Brooklyn, Star Wars, and The Revenant. So, shout, shout out to Shout out to Donald Gleason And for his time management skills. <laughs> and for his taste in movies. Yeah, yeah, good. His age, shout out, not shout out to Donald Gleason. Shout out to Donald Gleason's agent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the hardest working man in, oh, for sure. in the business. <laughs> well, you mentioned Star Wars. Uh, I guess our second and last shout out is going to be for the not so subtle Star Wars reference in this movie. Yeah, Leo had his own camp out in the corpse of a Tauntaun moment. Yeah, there's a scene in this movie that has gotten some internet buzz where he has to cut open a horse and sleep in it overnight, which my dad had a lot of fun debunking as soon as we got out. But yeah, shout out to Iñárritu's bravery in co-opting a Star Wars scene. There also was, if you think about it, a subtle Lord of the Rings reference, too. What? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, there's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio bites into a living fish, which reminded me so much of Gollum. All right. Well, we finished up shout-outs. Are we going to give this movie ratings? Yeah, we might as well. All right. I'll go first. If I were to rate this movie, I would give it 8 out of 10 water canteens. Central prop that (laughs) I did not mention. Yes, throughout the majority of the film, one water canteen is Glass's only tool for survival and is essentially his only form of contact with civilization. So suffice to say, it's important and 
I felt like ultimately this movie was very important too. Well put. Yeah. I think I would give this movie 8.5 out of 10 bison livers. Ooh. Yeah, because um, as we mentioned, Leonardo DiCaprio had to eat a bison liver in this movie, which as a vegetarian, I can imagine was not the most pleasant experience, but... Yeah, apparently they they tried to give him a fake liver at first, but it it wasn't working, so he decided to go hardcore and just take a bite into a real one, so... Oh, God. Much credit to him. (laughs) Okay, so clearly we both liked this movie, and we weren't the only ones. Oscar nominations were recently announced, and The Revenant received 12 nominations in total. That's more than any other film. And Mad Max Fury Road, another Tom Hardy flick, was not far behind with 10 nominations. Do you want to switch gears and talk Oscars for a bit? Yeah, it sounds great. So as Carla mentioned, Oscar nominations were recently announced, and while there weren't too many major surprises, particularly with regard to their continued lack of diversity, which we're not even going to touch today, (sighs) we thought it'd be fun to give a few quick predictions of who we think will win, who should win, and in some cases, who should have been nominated. All right, so let's make this a quick fire. Sounds great. Starting out with Best Picture... The nominees are The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. We've talked about a lot of these. Uh, This whole episode dedicated to The Revenant. I wouldn't be sad to see Mad Max, but I'm going to go with The Revenant. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of these categories boil down to two... Uh, to two nominees. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I think it's going to be between The Revenant and Spotlight. Oh, Spotlight was great. I would not be sad if that won either. Right now I'm leaning toward The Revenant, but it's kind of a 50-50 toss. All right, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Next, Director. Okay, the nominees. Do you want to read these? Sure thing. Uh, Lenny Abramson for Room, Alejandro Iñárritu for The Revenant, Adam McKay for The Big Short, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, and George Miller for Mad Max. This is a harder category for me because I liked Spotlight, Big Short, The Revenant, and Mad Max. Basically, all the ones that I've seen, (laughs) I liked. I have not seen The Room. But... Well, you've seen The Room, but you haven't seen The Room. (laughs) Right? Very different movie. Tommy Wiseau was not nominated for Best Director. Um, Yeah, I think... I'm going to... Iñárritu won last year. I'd love to see him get it again, especially because of the whole diversity issue here. So I'm going to say Iñárritu. And again, wouldn't be mad if George Miller won for Mad Max. What about you? Okay, I think for me, in terms of nominees that are missing, Ryan Coogler is... Oh, big time. Definitely absent for Creed. this list. For Creed. Mm-hmm. It, he would have been my dream nomination for sure, but... Of this list, and it is a pretty good list of nominees, Mm -hmm. similar to you, I think it's between Iñárritu and George Miller. Just to switch things up, maybe I'll say I'm leaning toward George Miller. Yeah, great. All right, next up, actor in a leading role. 
The nominees for this are Brian Cranston for Trumbo, a movie we haven't no, seen. A movie no one saw. Okay, continue. <laughs> Matt Damon for The Martian. Interesting. Leonardo DiCaprio, The Revenant. Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs. And Eddie Redmayne is nominated again for The Danish Girl. Leonardo DiCaprio. I was going to say, <laughs> describe this, but I don't need to qualify it. Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he's the clear front runner, and very few people disagree with this. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be a shocker if anyone else but Leonardo DiCaprio won. Mm-hmm. And I agree with with that. I think he, he deserves it. I think it's earned. Even divorced from the whole Leo hasn't gotten an Oscar thing, I mean, I do think he is... The best of the ones we've seen. Okay, what about actresses in a leading role? The nominees are Kate Blanchett for Carol, Brie Larson for Room, Jennifer Lawrence for Joy, Charlotte Rampling for 45 Years, and Saoirse Rowan for Brooklyn. I haven't seen any of these. I haven't heard of 45 Years. I haven't either. This is the first time I'm hearing of this. I didn't want to watch Joy. You didn't like Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Brooklyn Brooklyn is the only movie here that I've seen. And without getting into a rant, if by the end of the movie we were supposed to hate Saoirse Ronan's character, then she did a good job. But I don't think... That was the intention, so I don't see why she's nominated. I I feel extraordinarily unfeminist in not liking any of these nominations. Like I I really want to like love a strong lady here. This is where I'm like, where is Charlize Theron? Hmm. That yeah. that would have been my dream nomination, nomination here, just because oh, what she did in Mad Max, I loved it. But I don't know if. Um, but in terms of predictions, I think. It's easy with this list, too, because I think there is an obvious frontrunner. Brie Larson for Room, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're both in agreement there. All right. Well, we can move on then. Actor in a supporting role. Okay. The nominees here are Christian Bale for The Big Short, Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight, Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. This is a really strong category. It's Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen Bridge of Spies, but all of these are... I, Christian Bale was amazing. I mean, he was good. He learned the drums in two weeks. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, amazing in Spotlight. He, he almost made that movie. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten some flack for random, dramatic, Oscar-worthy <laughs> outbursts in that movie, but again... A solid, solid performance. Tom Hardy, we've raved about him in this podcast. I'll, ra- I'll rave about him in anything. But uh, lastly, I mean, we, we didn't see Bridge of Spies, so sorry, Mark Rylance. But lastly, Sylvester Stallone. We've talked about him in late, earlier podcasts. Yeah, such a heartwarming nomination right there. So who's your choice? For me, it comes down to two nominees, Sylvester Stallone and Tom Hardy. I wouldn't be upset if Tom Hardy won, but I'd be happier if Sylvester Stallone got got the the win. Right. This is the only nomination for Creed, and everyone, including Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, have gone on and on about how this movie wouldn't be possible without Sylvester Stallone being involved in it. And True. 
I think just as a celebration of what a great movie it was in general and what a fan favorite movie it was, this would be a great win. Yeah, you, you sold me. I went into this thinking Tom Hardy. I'm agreeing Sylvester Stallone, especially if you take it in context with everything that the movie represented. In terms of straightforward performances, I mean, he did an amazing job. It's kind of apples and oranges with Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy is probably the more go-to Oscar-like mm-hmm. worthy, but I mean, no one cares about the Oscars valuation system anymore. So let's let's say Sylvester Stallone and agree on that one. Okay, and finally, actress in the supporting role. All right, here we have Jennifer Jason Lee for Hateful Eight, Rooney Mara for Carol, Rachel McAdams for Spotlight, Alicia Vikander for Danish Girl, and Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. Again, I haven't seen many of these movies. I thought Rachel McAdams did a good job in Spotlight. She, I mean, she did a solid job. Alicia Vikander... I only know her for Man From U.N.C.L.E., but I hear she did great things in this movie, as well as in Ex Machina. Kate Winslet is just there because she's Kate Winslet. Rooney Mara, I I don't know, and I didn't see Hateful Eight. So, who's your choice? Well, I think, again, it comes down to two people. Kate Winslet won the Golden Globe, so she's up there for in terms of Mm. the predictions. But I think the frontrunner for this is Alicia Vikander and... I think she's going to win for Danish Girl, and from what I've heard, I think she should win, too, so... Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm gunning for her. Um, she's a cool, young, new actress, so it'd be cool to see her rewarded for it. All right. Well, I think that does it in terms of our predictions, at least for this podcast. The Oscars are still a few weeks away, but we're curious to hear your thoughts. You can follow us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. And as always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. Reach out to us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>